HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby, broadcast live to the Cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host is Sophie Schlesinger. Hi, everyone. And today we are doing All About Goats, Part 2. Yes. Uh, about uh, a couple weeks back, we interviewed... Um, uh, Greg Bernhardt and Hannah Sessions from Blue Ledge Farm and we also interviewed the folks over at Big Picture Farm in Vermont to talk about goat dairy and spring on a dairy farm and what that means in terms of uh, milk and cheese making and all the craziness that goes along with kidding which is right the what the, we're in the middle of right now which is why you know the episode probably felt a little rushed so we felt we should do another one and kind of cover more wonderful goat information it's true, and it's actually it's very appropriate to do uh, the second show because um, today we're not going to talk about goat dairy. We're actually going to talk about goat meat um, because people don't realize, a lot of people, that in order to um, get milk to make cheese, an animal has to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I myself was ignorant of this the first time that I went up to Cato Corner Farm for my internship. Just like humans. Yeah, just like humans, just like people. Who would have yeah. thunk it? And um, I turned red like a beet. And um, but so I feel like unless you've grown up on a farm or have some knowledge of agriculture, it's a common thing to you know sort of skip over in your mind. Yeah. But so got to have babies to have milk. Uh, babies, you know, on a dairy farm. You know, you want to keep the girls, obviously, or most of them, because they're going to become replacement milkers in years to come. But uh, the the males, uh, whether they be, uh, you know, goats, uh, you know, sheep or cows, um, are a different story. And uh, so 
we're going to be talking with two really great guests today, uh, Johnny Hunter of the Underground Food Collective in Madison, Wisconsin, and then also Aaron Fairbanks, who is with Heritage Foods USA here in New York, to talk about um, goat meat and what's being done with uh, goat meat, because it's a delicious, delicious food. It's the world's most commonly consumed meat, although we don't eat a lot of it here in in America. And uh, so we're just going to be talking about um, what are some you know, of the, of the ways that chefs and uh, home cooks are, uh, you know, approaching this, this, uh, this issue. Um, so Johnny, are you on the line with us? Yes, I am. Cool. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So, um, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about underground food collective, um, the dinners that you guys do and then the restaurants that you guys are opening this year? Sure. Uh, so underground's a uh, collective of cooks, um, out here in Madison, Wisconsin, We've been doing some types of events or food-related things for about 10 years now. Um, It's hard to really define what exactly that means. But we've been to New York almost seven times now, I think, uh, where we have done kind of pop-up restaurants or taken over a restaurant or done some kind of event um, at a farm or a nonprofit. So uh, we basically just do a meal centered around some kind of theme or... Um, ingredients and sell tickets and uh, <laughs> and uh, well and on your website now I see that uh, the next one coming up for instance on April 8th you guys are doing rabbit yep so we are doing a rabbit dinner on Easter um, that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> everybody gets to have a little bit of the Easter bunny for themselves yeah, yeah exactly. even when you're an adult yeah um, and so you guys are opening two restaurants this year um, maybe we'll just talk about one for now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> one restaurant, one at a time. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we're opening a new restaurant. Uh, hopefully this summer. Um, we we had a restaurant that we lost in a fire last year, but uh, we are in the process of reopening that. Um, we're going to be doing that in East Side of Madison, small place, kind of inspired by whole animal cooking and butchery. So. That's fantastic. And um, yeah. is the name of it, is it going to be called Underground Food Collective, or does it have a different name? It's the first time a business that we have is going to have a new non-underground name attached with it. We're actually going to call it the forequarter, four so the butchering term, the front half of the animal, or front quarter of the animal. Ah, very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, everyone who wants to you know, keep up with uh, these guys, then you can check out forequarter. Uh, in a few months. Um, so about goats, um, we got into this conversation the last time you guys did one of your dinners here in the city. And um, I believe it was brought up by the fact, didn't you have some goat charcuterie that you brought with you? Yeah. And we, we did three courses with goat last time. Um, we were there. One was a charcuterie. Two, we did two ways with it, uh, a salami and then also a copa. And then we also did a porchetta as the main course. So. Yum, which people obviously always think of as being pork, but, um, you know, equally delicious with with goat. Um, And what inspired you guys to um, try a goat-centric dinner? Um, So, yeah, this is kind of a long story, but I'm trying to make sense sense of it. So the goat has become more fashionable to cook with, I think, especially with creative cooks, um, just because it's different flavor, it has interesting cuts and it presents a lot of new possibilities but it's been hard to source quality goat um, and it tends to be really expensive and farmers who do raise it for meat tend to want to sell it into farmers markets because the premium is so much higher 
than into the restaurant market. So we have a, we were working with some farmers to do goats for us directly, um, and that just wasn't happening. And randomly, I got an email from one of the uh, kind of important people from the state who was like, hey, we have a proposal for you about we want to do a grant with you guys so that you can use goat meat from kids. And uh, so I set, we set up this meeting, and they, they had this big, long thing about wanting to do a grant, and I was just like, let's not do a grant. I'm just going to start buying goats from this thing. Tell me where I can buy the goats. <laughs> <laughs> the grant is usually, yeah, like the intermediary step that, like, yeah. it's like, is this going to work in the market? But that's yeah. the beauty of a chef or an entrepreneur. You're like, no, we'll just start buying them. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. We'll make it work. I was like, you can get me goat meat. I'll take, like, 50 tomorrow. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean it, it just basically, you know, you've kind of explained the process there, but, you know, having the kids in the herd, you know, farmers are really stuck because they they don't know how to market it. Most of the cheese farmers don't want to deal with um, another business. And it is a whole other business. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, maybe in the past, I think that people have expected goat meat to taste a lot like lamb meat. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they do want them, they want them like, you know, restrict someone restricted movement. They want, you know, that tender milk fed goats. And if you're a dairy farmer, that the cost on that is just too high, you know, because any milk that you're giving to the animal, you're not selling. Right. Yeah. Or turning into cheese. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, have them on pasture, feed them some grain, I'll buy them. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, what has worked really well for us is that we have this salami business and sausage company. And with that, you don't necessarily need that tenderness that you're going to serve. At, right. at a fine dining establishment. Mm, um, that's a good point. So, like, immediately we were, you know, we've experimented with a lot of different animals in the salami, and, you know, I think pork and goat are just perfect together. <laughs> <laughs> Little barnyard um, match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I've ever cooked a dish that didn't have some kind of pork fat with goat, you know? It's just always... <laughs> always a match that we use so we have a goat sausage our salami that we produce it's probably our most popular one um wow and uh we do um we do it's like just some like warmer spices like um cardamom and and cinnamon and you know kind of get that like i don't know christmas feel (laughs) (laughs) and and then we just add about 25 percent pork fat and we do like a sosisa we call it goat sec um so that product just kind of took off for us, and immediately there was a high demand for it, and it was really exciting. Um, and then we just started developing more with it because the access to goat we have is, you know, Wisconsin, I think, is the largest goat milk producing state. I want to say you're right. Yeah, goat yeah. and sheep, I think, as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, there are tons of, of dairies. Yeah. Um, so how, how uh, so the farms that you're working with, um, how many farms are you working with and do you have interest from, you know, a ton more farms? Do you plan to sort of really expand your production this year? Um, yeah, we are going to expand the production right now. We're probably doing about 10 goats a month. Um, and this is, this is just for our meat processing. I think once we reopen our restaurant and we do a lot of catering, we'll start producing a very much higher volume. Um, it is a little bit difficult to figure it out because you never know the sizes. Uh, we mm. deal with about eight different farms, and the biggest struggle with them is finding a slaughter facility that's mm. nearby. 
Sure. Yeah, that's it seems like it's the the dilemma that everybody faces yeah. out here too. Yeah, but there's there's like three in our region, so it's not the hugest problem, but it just can it's just a logistical thing that we have to work out and Well, and goats know, I'm sure are low on the totem pole when it comes to and if a farmer doesn't have an existing relationship with a facility like that, then I know to like to even book a date for a slaughter can be really difficult. Mhm. Yeah, and luckily some of the um, some of the producers here have just been around for a while. Wisconsin is pretty far ahead on the meat processing. We have like 236 state licensed facilities. So wow. Oh, wow. Um, but so yeah, so we're lucky that way. But the um, the process is just gonna. It's taking time to figure it out. And luckily, I have this this one guy um, who farms and does the goats. He has just gone out of his way to organize this all for me so you know he doesn't necessarily have the goats on his farm he'll find a friend who has a friend or you know and, and so he's he's doing a legwork of you know someone who would be a middleman normally in this whole process of making my life easier and they're just happy because i think that one thing that these farmers struggle with is just they want their work to go towards something you know they just don't want to sell it into the market that they're only getting pennies on the dollar for, or they don't just want to kill them animals, you know, which happens sometimes. And so they are so excited that someone is actually doing something with their product. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Well, and so can you talk a little bit about the about the financials? Like, what would that mean, um, you know, for for a farmer? Uh, how, how much can they sell, you know, their goats for? If you're comfortable talking about it, if not, that's yeah, totally no, no, fine. I, I mean, the only, it's a steal for us. Um, I pay, I pay, end up paying about a dollar fifty a pound, and that includes all the slaughtering costs. Wow, and such. that's great. Yeah, and it kind of works out. I'm, I'm sure the price will have to go up. This is, I mean, I haven't actually really told anybody this is how much I pay for it. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but hey, it's better than losing money, like you said, yeah, yeah, or yeah. you know, making pennies. So that's yeah, great. Yeah, I think. I think that they're really happy with the arrangement, but I think when other people catch on to the price, <laughs> uh, they'll go for it. But, I mean, it, it is working really well um, on that level, and, you know, I think because of the number of goats in Wisconsin, there's always going to be kind of this process in which the access to the product is good. But, I mean, one thing, uh, just back to products that we do with it and why we, is that, you know, generally I think there's a lot of, you, you know, you only need to use, like, lamb or your veal has to be, like, you know, held in cages. Everything has to be really tender. And I think that Underground's kind of moved away from a lot of these prenomes about how our food should be or, or the texture sometimes, the tenderness is the, the be-all. And we were just like, well, we're just going to cut them like chops and see how they turned out. And they were good. And then I was like, well, I've been doing a lot of porchettas with pork. Let's just try it with every animal that we have access to. Yeah. And, uh and that, that's been really good. Actually, um, I didn't mention earlier, but another product that we do that was really popular at the restaurant was uh, goat bacon. Which mm. is, it's basically, we just do a roulade with the, uh, the, the belly, cure the belly, roll it, smoke it, cook it, and slice it real thin. And man, that product, like still people like email us, like, where can we buy goat bacon? And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, man. That is so great. So it's really just a matter of you guys being creative and being able to use the whole animal, um, of course, helps a lot. Because with a small animal and with a lot yeah. of diverse little parts, as you say, you know, there's, there's kind of the potential is endless. Yeah, it's been, I mean, it's just really been a wonderful animal for us to work with. And this whole process is just, you know, we've done this with Veal, too. Uh, Andy at Uplands, you know, he raises about six or eight Veal for us a year. And it's the same type of thing, whereas it's like, you know, they just would have had to sell off the steers, you know, for nothing. And those are such high-quality animals. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Andy Hatch of uh, uh, Uplands Cheese Company. They make Pleasant Ridge Reserve and Rush Creek. They've been on the show with us before, too. So it's great. It's just kind of about um, establishing those relationships then and, and you know, uh, establishing, you know, the trust with the farmers and the farmers trusting you and getting the, you know, getting everything kind of to spec over over a couple, you know, over a matter of years. I didn't talk to the farmer who did the goats. I didn't meet him until, like, maybe two months ago, and we've been doing this well over a year. Wow. <laughs> it's just, like, just this was all just coordinated via email, and the goats would show up at the slaughter facility. I would pick them up. We'd send a check. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. And we would talk about it, you know, and he was just like, this is really great, but, you know, he's so busy, we're so busy, he didn't have a time to come see the facility until not that long ago, so. Oh, that's very cool. That's very cool. Um, well, we are actually at the halfway point of the show, um, so uh, we're going to have to sign off. We're going to be talking with Aaron Fairbanks from Heritage Foods USA about uh, their goat project, but it's so interesting to hear um, what you guys have been up to, and it's great uh, to know that people are appreciating the goat. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Okay, thanks. We'll talk soon. When Uncle Sam called, he called him up, send him out to Vietnam. That young man got his life turned upside down, turned his smile into a frown, dropped that king of his crown for an idea he didn't even know about. He was gambling at the wagon when that army man showed up, and he flashed that pen and paper, and old Fluky, he signed up, it's gonna be a big time in the jungle. Gonna be a firefight Gonna be a rumble Send me out to Vietnam I'll fight ten men I got nothing left in the States for me I wanna see the world, you see I know that Uncle Sam needs me To fight for an idea I know nothing about So we are back on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Dan Saxelby. Sophie Schlesinger is our producer and co-host extraordinaire. Uh, and today we're talking about goats, but we're talking about goat meat, not goat cheese. Um, because to have one, you got to have the other. Yep. <laughs> so our second guest is Aaron Fairbanks uh, from Heritage Foods USA. And Aaron is the uh, is the force behind No Goat Left Behind, uh, which was uh, an initiative that Heritage started last year. But I'm going to let her tell you about it. Awesome. Thanks for having me on today, Anne. Thanks for being and on. And I, ha- I have to give credit where credit is due. A brilliant idea for No Goat 
left behind was, of course, yours. Um, and it was really a project where we decided to try and sell 50 male dairy animals to chefs in New York City, San Francisco, and a couple spots in between. So last May, we started reaching out to farmers and looking uh, in particular at dairy animals and trying to uh, partner with some new farms. We ended up partnering with 15 different family farms selling uh, goats into over 70 restaurants. And it was super exciting. Uh, everywhere you went um, throughout the month of October, I think the streets rang with cries of, of goat. We were pretty <laughs> pretty happy with the response. You guys you guys renamed October. Yeah. You, to Goat-tober. Goat-tober. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I love. I think, you know, just like everything has a has a month, like I just learned that April is National Grilled Cheese Month. Um, yeah. You know, October should be National Goat Appreciation Month. I support that. Who, do I have to sign something? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just make up something. We'll just draft something up and have everybody here in the studio sign it, and then I'm sure that'll yeah. be legit. Yeah. <laughs> Hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you this. Is it, uh, well, first of all, I guess the relationships with the farms, how did that go? Were people skeptical? Were people ready to jump on board? What were some of the challenges you faced in finding the farms? There, it was interesting. We ended up working with farms all across the spectrum. We, we at the small end, worked with um, a woman whose daughter was raising, you know, a handful of goats in her backyard as a 4-H project to working with a farmer who grows goats to produce milk for Vermont cheese and butter. Um, so we, we, we caught a little bit of everything between. I think, um, you know, what really stood out about all the farmers we worked with is everyone was, was very entrepreneurial, kind of willing to take a chance. Um, you know, Heritage didn't have a relationship with any of these farmers prior, you know, at least, a, you know, a purchasing relationship prior to the program. So everyone was just kind of on board to try something new. It's a very, like, handshake agreement, and we were learning as we go. I know I definitely didn't start the project with any special knowledge of goats. I think, you know, some challenges that came up, one would be, you know, language was big. Kind of um, most people who are selling goats per meat are used to selling them into a live market. So they're when they're thinking about getting paid, they're thinking about getting paid on the live weight, um, which is how much the animal weighs, um, before it goes into slaughter, but when you're in in the other end of the meat business, you know, we often work with hanging weight, so that's the animal after, you know, it's been slaughtered. So there was some communication um, snafus in the beginning as we, you know, tried to uh, get some of those kinks ironed out. But overall, I think, you know, the communication issues were really just basic ones of us learning a little bit more about goats and the farmers learning a little bit more about us. But I'd say across the board, uh, everyone was a real champ and, and uh, it was, it was super fun to get to work with so many great farmers. That's great. And I know that places like consider Bardwell farm um, are now actually incorporating some different genetics into their herd because they want to embrace this project and continue with it and, you know, have a goat that uh, produces a lot of milk, but that also is sturdy and has a little bit more meat on it. So it seems like farmers are really, you know, behind it and want to see this project continue. Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of amazing with all the goat that's consumed in the U.S. that it's still a struggle for a lot of farmers, in particular in the Northeast, to find an outlet for 
their animals. I mean, I know last year alone, I think the United States imported over 17 million pounds of goat from Australia and New Zealand, and that's just kind of a shame when there's so much great stuff right here in our backyard. Yeah. Wow, that's an astonishing (laughs) number, 17 million pounds. That's a lot of goat. Yeah. Um, so what was it like on your end as far as the salesperson? So you're, you're dealing with the farmers. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Was it a hard sell to the chefs? Um, or were, were everybody, or were all the, you know, was everybody just ready to, ready to go and experiment? I think you know, overall people, people were game. You know, there was definitely like levels of participation. Some restaurants were really big supporters. You know, we have to give big shout out to Minetta, Minetta Tavern and the Momofuku group. Who, who really just kind of jumped on full board um, without even ever seeing a goat and and just said, hey, man, sign us up. We're going to take goats every week. We're going to we're gonna go goat crazy. <laughs> and, um, you know, I think across the board, it was most, a lot of the chefs had, had worked with goat maybe just a handful of times. They were kind of curious about some of the flavor profiles or carcass size for the breeze we were going to be carrying. And, and one of the things that, was interesting is it ended up being this real reflection on how far we've come with pigs and pork. You know, now each week when we call chefs, you know, they're like, oh, I want a, a Tamworth belly and I want the Berkshire butt and I'll, I'll take a whole red waddle. They, they identify the, the pigs um, by breed and that language and that understanding just doesn't exist yet for goats. So we're hoping, you know, by continuing this project in the coming years to eventually get to a point where we call a farmer up and and they're asking for the special consider Bardwell, you know, genetic blend because um, that's that's what works best for them on their menu. But that's a learning process I think is going to happen over the next, you know, five or six years as we continue to bring goat into kitchens every October. That is so, so cool. Um, yeah. Well, and you guys did a lot of education last year. Um, particularly, I remember that, um, that event that you guys did at the Astro Center. Um, which was fabulous. Can you talk a little bit about how you um, went beyond selling to chefs and trying to get the public more involved with appreciating goat meat and how to cook with it? Well, I think what we really realized is that the best way for us to, you know, support our chefs and to make it easier for them to kind of say yes to this project is to give them and I think the public at large kind of some tools and some information as to why they should also be engaged. So we, um, you know, have a relationship with Astor Sensor, Astor Food and Wine Sensor. They very generously donated um, some space for us to do a little outreach, and we had um, kind of a day of goat. Um, we talked a little bit about goat cheese. We got to eat some goat tacos. We heard from the farmers up at Consider Bardwell Farms, Margot and Alex. Um, but I think most exciting for people was having Chef um, Jacques of Palo Santo in Fort Reno in-house to demonstrate how to um, break down and butcher a whole goat and then go over some of the nuts and bolts of the best ways to cook different parts and kind of what to look for and, and to think about. And I think that's something we're hoping to do again uh, this coming October is, is have a couple more events like that where people can come and we can have a little back and forth with the farmers, with the chefs, and, and answer some questions and create a space where people can really, um, you know, explore their goat curiosity. <laughs> Learn to utilize all the, all the parts of the goat. 
Um, and then you guys also did a fantastic video, uh, which you can see on yes. uh, the Heritage Foods website, heritagefoodsusa.com, um, which is really kind of a cool introduction to the to the project. Um, so this year, what do you think? What what would you do differently than um, than you did last year? Have you already started these conversations uh, with the farms, or have you started to, you know, started to reach out to anybody? Yeah, definitely. You know, kidding season is currently in full effect. Um, and, you know, we've been in touch with um, all of the producers from last year trying to get a sense of what's going on at their farm. I know, like, the folks at Consider Bardwell have been in full baby mania for the last month or so. But then I talked to um, some of the farmers we worked with a little further north up at Highwood Farms, Mark and Luce, and they are expecting to start kidding later this week. So just trying to get a sense of, you know, what's happening on the ground. You know, one of the neat things about goats is they usually have twins or triplets. And when we um, set about to do the program this coming October, we have decided, you know, we wanted to expand it a little bit. So we're trying to get an idea from the farmers we worked with last year how many animals they they think that they might have or they think that they might want to you know, say are going to go towards this project, and it's always kind of hard to tell how many how many goats you're going to end up with at the end of the kidding season. So we we've definitely been chatting with our farmers and trying to to get a sense of what's happening on the ground. And one of the benefits of that is getting to, to, to see some really cute pictures of the baby goats. <laughs> yeah, they are very so cute. cute. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, now, what about uh, what about size? I know that size, uh, and we were talking about this with uh, with our first guest, Johnny Hunter, who from, who was from the Underground Food Collective in Madison. Um, it seems like there's a lot of variation um, in terms of size with the goats. So, how do you manage that? And is that part of your conversation for the with the farms this year? Or is it uh, is it not really an issue for you guys? No, it's that's you know that's definitely an issue. You know, we last year kind of took our best guess um, based on our knowledge of, of lamb as to what size would work best in the restaurant kitchen, and we asked our farmers to try and hit those marks. And so we were looking for something, you know, in the 30 to 45-pound range. And I think we probably, over the course of the four weeks that we ran the program, averaged just about at 30 pounds um, I think that size is really a reflection of a couple of things. One, it's the age of the animal, obviously. As they get older, they, they're going to get bigger. Um, but also the breed pay, plays a big role there. Um, you know, boar, Kiko goats that are bred for meat are just going to put on weight and be kind of a meatier, hardier carcass um, within the same kind of time period as, as a dairy goat. Dairy goat, you know, they're really bred to put all that um you know, genetic kind of work towards milk production. But if you're unlucky enough on a goat farm to be born a male, all those, you know, you have this great kind of genetic history, but you you still can't make any milk. So it can be a tough spot. And I think that's really the heart of what the program is trying to get at is is the story um, of dairy and, and the fact that, you know, to make cheese, you need milk and to, to get milk, you need babies, and, and so as responsible eaters, I think that it's kind of our duty to uh, understand and, you know, eat a little bit of goat meat here and there, uh, but size, size was definitely an issue. We're definitely working 
to drill down on, on some of the ways to kind of get a little bit more consistent, get those weights up there. Tatiana Stanton, who works for uh, Cornell Cooperative Extension, has been a great resource for us and, and for um, farmers in the region. She runs the small ruminant um, listserv and does a ton of kind of educating and, and really working with farmers as to kind of how to uh, make positive impacts in, in the way their animals grow. So we'll, we'll be looking to her again, definitely, to grow with our farmers. And then I think also just sharing information that we hear um, that's worked well on one farm or, or setups they've had. Um, you know, we're, we're, hope, we're hoping, you know, that our farmers will always think of us as a resource for, you know, connections to either other farmers or industry professionals. That's so, that's, that's really, really great. I just, yeah. uh, I'm so excited that the project, you know, was such a success. A, because I, I love goat meat. It's delicious. And B, because I just know for these farms, it's such a boon, you know, it's, it's extra work for sure, um, you know, to raise them upright. But, you know, then to have, uh, you know, that extra, that extra business year after year is a pretty, is a pretty substantial thing. Um, so uh, heritagefoodsusa.com you can go and check out uh, No Goat Left yeah. Behind you can watch the video starring Aaron Fairbanks <laughs> which is great <laughs> um, and if you're a chef and listening definitely get in touch because yeah, start um, prepping your menus for October or sooner in the future hopefully yeah yeah, um, yeah. thank you Aaron for being on the show it was a pleasure Thank you. Thank you. Take care, ladies. All right. And we will see you next week on another episode of Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening. Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on HeritageRadioNetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.